You know, when we sing songs or when we clap or when we shout, we don't do that just because we're killing time to get to the sermon. We do it because it's a weapon. In Psalm 149 and Psalm 150, it says that the, the high praises of God are in our mouths to declare vengeance upon the nations. We're not declaring vengeance upon physical kingdoms and nations. We're doing spiritual battle. Paul says we don't wrestle with flesh and blood, but we use every weapon to demolish strongholds of the enemy that have been set up. And I find it's physically impossible for me to stay angry, frustrated, depressed, whatever, at the same time that I choose to declare my praises to God, or when I choose to shout, or when I choose when no one is around of course, to dance around the room and be excited about what God has done. And some people will tell me, well, pastor, that's emotionalism. Well, so is depression and so is fear and so is anxiety. And if I've got to choose an emotion, I might as well choose one that's going to help me get out of bed in the morning and not keep me in bed. Some of you are looking at me like you don't believe me, but I pray that one day you get infected by it too. Whew, hallelujah. Okay. Here's what I want to do. Hebrews chapter four, I wanna read it to you and then I wanna pray for you. All of that other stuff I didn't plan to say, but here we are. Hebrews four, we have a great high priest who entered heaven, Jesus, the son of God. And because of that, let us hold firmly to what we believe, not what we feel, not what we see, what we believe. This high priest of ours understands our weaknesses because he faced everything just like we do, but did not sin. So let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God, not timidly, not because we've measured up, not because we got a good track record, but boldly because of what Jesus has done for us to receive mercy. You know what mercy is? Mercy is when you get from God or God withholds what you deserve. So we come boldly to the throne of God and what every one of us in this room deserves is wrath, but he gives mercy. I mean, it's all of a sudden this awareness that I deserve punishment, wrath, but you're not giving it to me. Instead, you're giving me grace to help me when I need it the most. And so we're gonna come to the throne of God today, right now, and if you're battling uh, fear, anxiety, condemnation, shame, guilt, oppression, uh, you just, you're not measuring up. Nobody loves you. Everybody hates you. Your life is a mess. And you're even condemned that you're even allowed, allowing yourself to feel that way. You need to come before the throne today to receive mercy. That's what you're going to get. And you're going to get grace to help you where you need it. You may know where you're going to need it this week, but most of us have no idea what is in store in this week ahead. But here's the thing. If we come to God and say, God, I trust you. I don't know what's in store, but I need grace because there's no way I can live this week without it. And he's gonna give us everything we need for this week. So you say, I want mercy, I want grace. I'm coming to the throne of God. I wanna pray that over you. And I want you just to lift your hands and say, God, that's me today. I am coming boldly. And so God, right now, we come boldly into the throne 
into your throne room. And God, we don't come because we've measured up. We don't come because we've got the right theology or doctrine or name on the door, but we come today because of what Jesus Christ has done for us, because of what we just declared, because his buried body began to breathe and it declared that the grave no longer has hold on us. And so God, today we come and we receive mercy. And I pray that showers of mercy would flood this room right now. God, that you would cover those in this room, that you would remove shame and guilt and condemnation and fear and anxiety and depression. God, that you would wash it away right now because of the power of your mercy. God, overwhelm each one with your mercy today. God, we ask for grace. We know that apart from you, we can accomplish nothing. God, we are nothing without you. Anything good we have ever done in our lives has only been because of you. God, we recognize that today and we need your help because this week we're gonna face things and we're not gonna have answers. God, we're gonna face things and we're gonna be confused. We're gonna be hurt. We're gonna face fears. We're gonna face anxieties. We're gonna face frustrations. We're gonna face offenses. God, we're gonna face all kinds of stuff, but we know that you give grace and you give greater grace to those who ask for it, to those who humble themselves and says we need it. God, those who lift their hands right now and say, I need grace today. I need healing in my physical body. I need restoration in my relationships. I need a financial miracle. I need to stop spending money on things I can't afford. I need to stop saying yes to things that I need to say no to. I need to start saying no to stuff. I need to start saying yes to things that I need to say yes to, but I've said no in the past. I need grace right now. And Holy Spirit, I'm trusting that you're going to give it. I'm trusting that you're going to give it. There's one more thing I want to do. I'm going to ask Jenny if she would come to the front. And I want to pray over Mark and Jenny um, for Redfield. And if you want to come, you can come. Stand around them as many of you can. If you can't come to the front, just reach your hand out. But I just... I have a sense, I wanna move on because we got a lot to do, but I just sense God wants us to pray over this couple. And God, we're already seeing the fruit of what you're doing. And you said, do not despise the day of small beginnings. And God, we know that you are raising something up in the city of Redfield and we are excited to partner with you in it. And God, we know that we're gonna make mistakes. We know that we maybe are gonna make some wrong choices. We know that maybe we're gonna have to, a learning curve in this process, but God, we trust your mercy and we trust your grace. And we pray right now that you would pour out mercy on this couple. God, that you would wash away, God, every fear, every anxiety, every doubt, God, everything that, that has been been spoken over them, God, whether by themselves, by people in this body, by people in anybody, anywhere, anytime, God, we just, we put it under the feet of Jesus right now and declare that it is dead. God, we prophesy peace and hope and love and joy over their lives, over their home. God, let it be settled today. God, I pray for abundant grace right now. I pray for clarity of mind. God, to, to begin to say yes to things that they've said no to in the past, to begin to say no to things that they've said yes to. God, I pray for clarity of mind and clarity of heart. God, to know every step. And I pray for the peace 
that passes all understanding to guard their hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. God, that when there is no direction, when there is no clarity, God, that they can rest in the last thing you spoke. God, that they can rest in what you have already declared and made certain to them. God, that they would not let anxiety or fear rule in that moment, but God, that they would wait on you for every step that needs to come. And so God, we pray your blessing over their lives. We thank you for their faithfulness. God, thank you for their willingness to step into the unknown. God, to step into the unknown. And God, I pray, supply everything they need. We pray it in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. I feel like we could just go home now, but we're not. <laughs> Hallelujah, you can be seated. Thanks for pressing in and worshiping with us. Oh, praise God. God is so good. And the devil is so bad. <laughs> Maybe all I know about him, but <laughs> that's all right. It's enough. Um, wow. I feel like God put a word on my heart a few weeks ago that I actually shared um, at James Valley Christian School and uh, had the privilege of sharing last week in Howard. And actually, a few weeks ago, I preached a sermon um, here over Labor Day weekend called um, How to Be Open-Minded. And I actually wrote that message for um, a chapel I was doing at James Valley Christian School on the, the 13th of September. And, but right before that week began, the Lord put a different word on my heart, so I actually never shared it with them. Um, but I shared it with you, and I had intended to share it with you at some point, but just not then. It just worked out uh, on that weekend. And then I intended to share it last week. I was in Howard. Um, I serve as a, a district presbyter for the churches in this area, the Assemblies of God churches. And so um, there are two churches that we have right now in Howard and in Madison that are without pastors. And so um, I set up a time a few weeks ago, um, a, probably a few months ago with them to go down and just worship with them and to share a message with them. And I actually intended to preach how to be open-minded with them. But the odd thing is, is during the worship time, the Lord put the word on my heart um, that I'm gonna share with you today that I shared with them at James Valley. And uh, I, I knew that the Lord wanted me to share it with you because it really comes out of the sermon that I shared with you a few weeks ago about how to be open-minded, and it shares with where we're going. If you remember a few weeks ago, I told you two new words, maybe new to some of you, the word exegesis and the word isogesis, if you remember that in how to be open-minded from the, the book of Acts. And exegesis means I take the Bible and I open it up and I read it and I study it and I, I find out what the Bible is saying. And in order to do that, I got to know the history. I got to know the context. I got to know the language. Um, I got to draw out the meaning. And it's, it's important that we study the word of God together as a body because that's how we keep ourselves from error. The scripture um, kind of teaches us that. And so, um, hold on, I'm trying to pull up my notes here. And I can't do two things at once, so we're just going to have to hold on. Okay, there we go. And so that, that's exegesis. I pull out what the Bible means, and then I apply it to my life, and I conform my life to what the Bible means. Eisegesis is where we take something either that we want to do or something that we assume is truth. Um, there are a lot of things in our church American culture that we assume 
come from the scripture, but they don't. They come from our history. They come from our culture. And it's not that they're bad. It's not that they're unbiblical. I mean, some of them are, but they're just not truth. And so we, we try to, to keep holding on to things that really aren't what the Bible tells us to do, and, and we make our lives fit the Bible. You know, does that make sense? So that's eisegesis. I try to, you know, make this passage fit what I want to do or what I, I, I'm comfortable doing. And so then I, I make the Bible say what I want it to say. And that's what's happening in our culture today. It's happening on little levels that, you know, it's no big deal. And it's happening, well, it is a big deal, but we think it's no big deal. And then it's happening on grand scales where something is clearly black and white in the scripture. And we're like, well, I don't think God really meant that. And for those of us that look at those people and are like, I can't believe people do that. We do it all the time in little ways, and we just don't think that's a big deal. And we're going to talk about one of them here today in just a moment. But uh, I read an article just this last week by Operation World. And Operation World is a, a missions organization that talks about uh, unreached people groups around the world. Do you know where the largest growing, the fastest growing church is right now in the world? Nope. Not even close, but good guess. No, Iran. Iran. Oddly, a place where it's illegal to be a Christian, where there are no church buildings, where there's no centralized leadership, there's no superintendent, there's no bishop, there's no... The church is exploding because they're focusing on making disciples, not making converts. We tend to focus on converts. They're easier than making disciples. You know where the second fastest growing church is? Afghanistan. It really is hard for the rich to get into the kingdom of heaven because we have everything we need. And we make, we make the ecclesia, the body of Christ, about so many things. And we, we don't need those things. Gateway Church in Texas just planted a church in a prison. They planted a church. Let me say that again. They planted a church in a prison. Prison. Gateway church, prison. Who does that? Somebody that wants to make disciples. We are going to be studying a book, and I know there's been some confusion about how much this book costs. I have no idea how much it costs, okay? So you, you post it for 99 cents, and two minutes later, it's 9.99. So just keep watching. We're going to start in January. This is called The Untold Story by Frank Viola, and all this is is it's a supplement to the New Testament. It gives you the context of each of the books of the New Testament. So we're going to learn why that book was written, who it was written to, so that as we read the New Testament in 2020 together, we're going to understand it in a better way and make sure we're exegeting it, not eisegeting it. We're going to study this fall the book of Daniel eventually. I've been wanting to study it. Christina's been wanting me to study it. But we're going to study it soon. And I'm going to use two books I don't have time to go into them today. I'm going to use one called The Daniel Dilemma and one called Thriving in Babylon. If you want them, um, I'll give you the titles later or they're right there. You can look them up. Um, they're supplemental reading. You don't have to read them. You can attend the services. You'll get the information. But if you want to go deeper and you want to start now, great books to read. They talk about how to stand firm and love well in a world full of compromise. 
Because as I read the book of Daniel, there are four men. There's Daniel, there's Hanani, there's Mishael, and there's Azariah. There are four young Hebrew men that are taken captive into an ungodly nation, the nation of Babylon, probably more wicked and evil than the nation of America. Okay, so for those of you that think that we've gone to hell in a handbasket, Babylon was worse. And God actually used that nation to judge his people. That's the irony of it. And that's why some of the prophets are like, what are you doing? How could you even use a wicked? I mean, yeah, you got to understand and we don't have time to go into it. But the influence of those four men over an entire kingdom is, is unbelievable. And I believe God has called us to have that same level of influence over our nation, not through the political system, not by voting a certain way. Nothing wrong with voting. Please continue to vote. Vote your conscience. Vote what God says. Vote God's word. Do it, do it, do it. But stop getting bent out of shape over the political system as if our salvation is coming through politics. It's not. Never has, never will. And God can use wicked kings and he can use good kings. What matters most is our response to what's happening. Are we a people that are settled that God is in control or are we not? It's interesting because sometimes I give the worship team a song uh, to go with the message and say, you know, hey, um, try to put this song in. Or sometimes they ask, in fact, Stan asked this week, he's like, hey, what are you preaching on next week? And I kind of knew where I was going to go, but I'm like, no, I, I'm, I'm just not going to tell him. And so I just like, I'm not really sure yet. I wasn't 100% sure, so it wasn't a total lie. Um, but, it, it, but here's the thing. Uh, I think you'll find if you go back and watch the service after today, he nailed what we're about to talk about. Okay, because... It, that's, to me, that was so encouraging during worship to be singing songs that I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah, this is what we're going to talk about. Yeah, yeah. And he didn't even know. Praise God. That's so great to me. But, so it's good for me. But, but here's the thing. I have been concerned because as I look at our church world today and I look at our world in general, um, anxiety and depression are on the rise. And if you don't know my story, I don't have time to go into it, but anxiety is on my list. Um, it has no hold on me, and I battle against it, and I use drugs to battle against it, and I use prayer to battle against it, and I use a lifestyle change to battle against it because I'm not a believer that it's only one thing and one thing alone. I believe you can use all kinds of sources to help you grow as long as they don't contradict the Word of God. And so that's how I battle it in my life. But I have watched pastors and church leaders committing suicide. I've watched CEOs of organizations committing suicide, movie stars, sports professional athletes taking their own lives because they can no longer cope with what's happening around them. Farmers that right now are struggling with the, the weather and the pressure on them are taking their own lives. We're, we know that it's happening on the Native American reservations. It's happening in our schools in this area, Little Huron, the town of Iroquois and the town of Hitchcock, in the last year, calendar year, two students have taken their own lives. This should not be. And I know that we like to blame it on external things and, you know, it's bullying and there's pressure and there's stress. And, and some of that is true, but some of it is just our choices. We choose to live our lives with no margin. No margin in the budget. No margin in our finances. So then when a crisis comes, there's, we're hopeless. 
We choose to live with no margin in our schedule, no margin in our relationships. We don't give people grace and mercy. We hold on to bitterness and offenses like crazy. And all of this just begins to build inside of us till we just snap. And I believe there's a prescription to it in the, in the scripture, because sometimes as Christians, we get disillusioned with when we follow Christ, everything's going to be like a Christmas movie. Don't you know? We just watched one at our house last night, and I loved it. In fact, you should watch it. It's so great, and it's like everyone's tearing up, and it's like, oh, look how all this works out in 90 minutes. Oh, this is so great. Life is not a Christmas movie. It's not. The reason I watch Christmas movies is to escape the reality of life. That's why the Christmas shoes is stupid. <laughs> because that's life. I don't want to watch movies that are like life. I want something else. And so when we come into salvation and we come into faith, I have just offended all the people that love the Christmas shoes. I apologize to you. When we come into faith and we say things like, Jesus paid our debt, he paid the price for us all, that does not mean there's no cost associated with following him. There could be a great cost. Uh, when we follow Jesus, it doesn't mean, just because the Bible says, do not fear, <laughs> doesn't mean you're not going to have the opportunity to have fear or anxiety or hurt or pain. It's just we don't give them a place in our lives. How we define success in the American church is not how the kingdom of God defines success. When we pray for the persecuted church around the world, we're always praying for their release. Most of the prayers offered in this book, if not all, for the persecuted churches help them to stand firm. Because it's through the, the shedding of blood sometimes that salvation comes to areas. And sometimes you have to pay the ultimate price. The disciples celebrate it having to be whipped and beaten and martyred for their faith. In the American church, we look at anything that's hard or anything that's difficult and we respond like, oh, the, world, the sky is falling. And most of us in this room would, would totally declare today, we know this. We know that following Jesus is not easy. We know that following Jesus doesn't mean that everything's gonna go right. But the problem isn't what we're saying. It's how we're reacting. I'm going to say that again because I want you to hear it. It's not what we're saying. It's how we're reacting. It's how we're reacting to politics. It's how we're reacting to the people that we don't like on, our, on the other side of our aisle. It's how we're reacting to the problems we're having at work. It's how we're reacting to the problems we have at church. It's how we're reacting to the problems we have in our marriage. It's our reaction, not the words that we're saying. Because we claim following Jesus is going to be hard, but we aren't responding like he's in total control. We're reacting like he's dropped something and it's up to us to fix it. Are you, are you tracking with me? You may not like me yet, but you're, I hope you're tracking with me. So here's the series. Keep calm and keep practicing. Keep calm and keep practicing. I love that title. I'm not ashamed to admit that I love it. <laughs> if that's pride, I'll repent later. Philippians chapter 4, verse 13. Does anyone in the room know what it says? Philippians 4, 13. And if you go to James Valley, don't say it. Because you already know. No, that's not 4, 13. What's it say? 4, 13. I can 
Oh, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Woo, Philippians 4.13. And here is how we have mistakenly exegeted that passage. We believe I can do anything. I can do all things. I can do all things. So anything I want to do, we kind of treat God at times like a blank check or a genie in a bottle. And I just put Philippians 4.13 on my, my sneakers and I can win a race. I mean, I can win that race. I mean, through God. I can win an NBA championship and I, I can do all things. That's not a proper exegesis of that passage. In fact, some translations of the Bible actually say it this way, like the new living that's right in front of you there. It says, I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. And some of us actually try that. We have no idea how to say no. Some of us actually fill our lives with so many things that we said yes to that we should have said no to, and we wonder why there's chaos and stress and pressure, and you can't do everything. You weren't made to do everything. You're not supposed to do all things. What Paul says in Philippians chapter 4, verse 13, thank you for the NIV to help us understand this, I can do... Yeah. It's actually the new version of the NIV, though, which you're not a fan of, but the old version got it wrong, too. Uh, sorry to ruin that for you. I can do all this through Christ who strengthens me. That, that changes everything. I can do all this. Well, what is all this? <laughs> well, you're going to have to read all of Philippians chapter 4 that he just talked about to find out what all this is that we can do through Christ. And if we go back up one verse... I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. I've learned the secret of living in any and every situation. So what Paul is saying is, I've learned through experience, I've learned through practice, I've learned through my constant use to be literally self-sufficient. But don't think of self-sufficient as I don't need Christ. He's meaning that with it, with because of his union with Christ Jesus, he is now self-sufficient in the sense that he doesn't need circumstances to line up just perfectly to react a certain way. He doesn't need people to treat him a certain way, to respond a certain way. He has learned the secret of living a life that is constant, that I can respond the same way to people who love me and people who hate me. I can respond to circumstances that are great and circumstances that are full of lack. I can respond all the time the same. And I know that in the context of Philippians chapter 4, he is writing to this church and he's saying, you know, uh, I thank you that you've renewed your interest in me. In other words, you've started giving me money again. We don't know why the Philippian church stopped giving him money. We've got to understand in that culture, there's no Western Union. There's no, you know, you don't just deposit money in your bank and then send it to someone else's bank. If someone wasn't coming through Philippi to take money and give it to the Apostle Paul wherever he was, they couldn't support him, okay? Or they had to send someone where he was and they didn't always know where he was. Or they went through hardships and they couldn't collect any money. We don't know what happened, but somehow they were giving him money for his ministry, then they stopped. And then they renewed it. And Paul says, thank you for doing that. And then he's like, well, well, but not that I needed you to. Don't get me wrong. I mean, I appreciate what you've done for me, but I don't need you to give me money because I've learned this. But then he's thinking, I hope that didn't sound offensive to them. Do you ever try to handle something with someone through text message or email? 
really difficult, isn't it? Because you're like, how are they going to take that? How are they going to? And, and I feel like in Philippians 4, that's what Paul's doing. He's like, I don't want them to think I, I don't appreciate their gift. I just don't want them to think I'm dependent on their gift. I want them to be dependent on Christ the same way I have. And so there's this back and forth. But this universal truth applies to everything. And I'll show it to you from 2 Corinthians chapter, well, all of 2 Corinthians here in a minute. But there are things that we will face in life. And Paul is saying some of them are going to be brought on because of bad choices on our part. The language of, the, of Philippians 4, he says, some of them are brought on by my bad choices. Some of them are brought on through no fault of my own. Sometimes I have everything I need. I have a surplus. And it's hard to serve God in surplus. Because, you know, we cry and we cry out to God when we're in pain or when we need something. But when everything's great, I mean, we have a tendency to be like, well, God, I, I, I could skip reading the word today. I can, you know, I can skip praying today because everything's good. I really don't need anything. As if our relationship with him is just to go get information and then go put it into practice. Our relationship with him is a union, meaning good times, bad times, every time he, I need him in every situation. And Paul says, I've learned to do this. And the only way you can learn to do it, Philippians 4, 9, whatever you've learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice. You just got to keep putting it into practice. And so we're going to look at Philippians 4 next week, but we're not going to cover much of that today. We're going to go to the book of 2 Corinthians today. But this idea of practice doesn't mean keep trying. It means just keep doing. Some days you're going to try to put things into practice and you're going to fail. And then you come back to the throne of grace and you receive mercy and you receive grace. And you're not going to make excuses. We're not going to say, well, you know, I wouldn't have responded that way if my kids were, were behaved today. Paul says, it's not about your kids. It's about the internal thing going on in you. Well, if my spouse or if my boss or if my, my pastor or if this person or that person or if I wouldn't have ran out of gas or if I wouldn't have got that bill, I mean, I would have been able to handle it until we elected, you know, some crazy Democrat or Republican and now I just can't handle it. I mean, I don't know what to do. It's not out here. It's not out here. Every reaction that I make is all in here. And Paul says, I've learned that secret. I've learned that secret. And we want to learn that secret too, at least the idea of it, because once maybe we read where it comes from, we don't. But I want to, before we get to, um, before we get to what we need to keep putting into practice, which is what we'll do next week, Philippians 4, I want to talk about keeping calm. Keeping calm. Um, if you struggle with anxiety, trust me, when Paul says in Philippians 4, 6, don't be anxious about anything, um, <laughs> if you've ever had a panic attack and you tell yourself, um, stop, <laughs> yeah, you laugh because you know <laughs> it just doesn't work all the time, or at least it doesn't work as quick as you want it to, and it's a process. And so Paul is not trying to say, um, stop it. He's just saying, so you got to start putting into practice things that are going to make panic attacks less in your life and are going to help you cope with them when they come and actually overcome them. But it's, it's, it might take a while. I mean, God could totally deliver you in a second from any panic attack ever. Totally believe it. Would pray for it. But sometimes in our lives, the panic attacks aren't a result of anything, only they're a result of the internal struggle that hasn't been won. Does that make sense? 
where this hasn't become a, a, a bedrock truth of our lives. We know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him and who have been called according to his purpose. That has to be foundational. That means when I go through a hard time, I don't understand how, but God is working for good in that. In that, I don't know how. When I get mistreated by anybody, spouse, kids, boss, friend, coworker, anybody, God's totally in control. And I can totally respond the correct way to that. And I don't have to like take the gloves off and be mean and nasty and you know try to fight God's battles for him. He fights battles for me. I need to learn to rest in him. Somehow we get this idea that if someone, well, someone's lying about the, someone's lying to the boss for me, what should I do? Pray. Pray. Should you go to your boss? I don't know. Should you just be quiet? I don't know. In fact, you could back up both points of view with scripture. And the tension of the scripture is we need to live in union with God because I could go this way, I could go this way. I don't know. And I need to live in union with God and the Spirit and other believers to pray into stuff together. That's why we, when we pray corporately, this is important for us as a church. I don't know how we as a church individually can know what God's direction is if we don't pray together corporately. Got real quiet. We can't. We can't. Otherwise, we just got all of our own opinions and we can back up our own opinions with Scripture. And we can cut each other up with the scripture too. And we do it all the time in our lives. If we want to know what choice to make, it's not always the path of least resistance. I mean, I'm just going to always choose what, what means more money, more peace, more this, more that, because God wants me to have more, 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 more. Well, sometimes he wants you to have more pain. God wants me to have more pain? Yeah, absolutely. Because in the pain of adversity is where our faith is tested, tried, and proved. And there's no other way. He doesn't bring pain into our lives, but he is aware of all the pain that is going to come. And he promises, I won't waste any of it. I'll use it. People will mistreat you. If you put your faith in me and you get called according to my purpose, I'll use it. No matter what gets done to you or what happens to you, what the enemy does to you, it doesn't matter. You trust me. You trust that I'm at work and I will work for your good. And so he writes to the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians. We're going to read a lot of these. I'm going to talk a little bit about them. But you could read this entire book and I hope it puts it in a better context for you. All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, God is our merciful Father. He is the source of all comfort. He comforts us in all our troubles. How many troubles does God comfort us in? All. How many of you, don't raise your hand, have ever felt alone, felt like nobody cares, felt like nobody could comfort you, nobody is comforting you, and you go into this pity party and you're like, oh, I just, why can't someone remember me? Why can't, I've been there, I have done that. But here's the thing, you are in that moment and I don't know why you're in that moment and maybe people have failed you and let you down, but you are there and you could learn to get comfort from the one who will never, ever, ever, ever leave you. And instead of sulking and instead of blaming people for not being near you or with you or helping you or serving you right, you could develop the strength of character that says, I'm going to learn how to receive comfort straight from God so that I can comfort others. 
And we complain about it and we sulk about it and we get bitter about it and we wonder why we stay in there. Because we won't learn the secret of letting him be our comfort. See, when we are troubled, when they are troubled, then we will be able to give them the same comfort God has given us. For the more we suffer with Christ, the more God will shower us with his comfort. I mean, how many, if I would have said today, how many of you want to be showered with the comfort of Christ today? All the hands would go up. But if you have to suffer, uh, can I get it another way? It's like the impossible whopper. You know, did you know about the impossible whopper? It's a whopper that's not made of meat. It's impossible. <laughs> this is impossible. It's impossible to know God in that type of way unless we suffer. Even when we are weighed down with troubles, it is for your comfort and salvation. When we ourselves are comforted, we will certainly comfort you. Then you can patiently endure the same things we suffer. We are confident that as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in the comfort God gives us. We think you ought to know, brothers and sisters, about the trouble that we went through in the province of Asia. We were crushed and overwhelmed beyond our ability to endure. We thought we would never live through it. In fact, we expected to die. That word, the New Living Translation, it, the, the NIV says, we despaired even of life. So when we expected to die, it literally means we had hoped to die. I mean, we longed for death because it was so overwhelming to us. But as a result, we stopped relying on ourselves and learned to rely only on God who raises the dead. All of us in this room would love the testimony of learning to rely on God more. I'll, I'll take mine without the suffering and the hardship and the despairing even of life. But there is no other way. And no matter where you are and what circumstances of your life you are facing right now, God is working for your good if you are called according to his purpose. I wish there was another way to learn to rely on him, but I've read the Bible. He goes on in the next chapter, we now have this light, the gospel, shining in our hearts, but we, may, but we ourselves are like fragile clay jars containing this great treasure. But this makes it clear that our great power is from God and not from ourselves. We are pressed on every side by troubles, but we are not crushed. We are perplexed, but we are not driven to despair. We are hunted down, but never abandoned by God. We get knocked down, but we are not destroyed. Through suffering, our bodies continue to share in the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may be seen in our bodies. And so in other words, the pressure, the pain, the hurt, the cracks are supposed to expose the light of the gospel in us. And my question for us today is, are our reactions to politics, are our reactions at work, are our reactions in our relationships showing the light of God, or are they revealing uh, there's an internal struggle that we're not letting go of? 2 Corinthians chapter 6, 
We live in such a way that no one will be able to stumble because of us. No one will find fault with our ministry, which is odd because in his letters, he talks about all of the people that found fault with him. Can I just assure you that every person in church leadership on this planet will have people that find fault in them. The writer of most of the books of this Bible had people that found fault with him. So you can tell me about this guy you read about and this pastor over here that you've heard about and you can do all of that or you can just trust that God's at work and you know, find a way because they found out about Paul. But he says, we're trying to live in a way no one finds fault with it. In everything we do, in everything we do, we show we are true ministers of God. We patiently endured troubles and hardships and calamities of every kind. We have been beaten, been put in prison, faced angry mobs, worked to exhaustion, endured sleepless nights, and gone without food. I mean, we've been talked about behind our backs. We've been, um, you know, slandered by someone. We, you know, maybe had someone uh, forget to remember us in some way. I mean, have we been beaten, put in prison, faced angry mobs, worked to exhaustion, endured sleepless nights, gone without food? And some of us are reacting like the sky's falling. We prove ourselves, he says, by our purity. And we would take that verse and we would be like, see, we gotta be pure. We gotta be holy. We can't go to, you know, we can't listen to rock and roll music. We can't smoke. We can't swear. We can't drink. We can't do all these lists of things. We wanna be pure, 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 pure. And the funny thing is, is Paul is talking about the way we respond or react to situations in our lives. Are we patient? Are we understanding? Are we kind? Do we show sincere love? That's purity. Purity is, can someone come up to me and be an absolute jerk and I respond with patience and love and truth and kindness? That's purity. And some of us, we walk into a restaurant and they get our order wrong. It's okay, we're gonna get to the mercy part in just a moment, but I have, to, I have to make you know that we need mercy before I can give it to you because otherwise we'll receive it in vain. And so, some of you are just, the deer in the headlights right now, I could give an altar call and you'd be here. I, I love you, I love you, and God is working. Just hang, hang on with me, okay? God's power is working in us. We use the weapons of righteousness in the right hand for attack and in the left hand for defense. We serve God whether people honor us or despise us, whether they slander us or praise us. We are honest, but they call us imposters. We are ignored even though we are well known. We live close to death, but we're still alive. We've been beaten, but we have not been killed. Our hearts ache, but we have always have joy. We're poor, but we give spiritual riches to others. We own nothing and yet we have everything. And so this is just a few chapters of 2 Corinthians, and we see where Paul learned the secret from. And the reason it's a secret is not because it's not well known, it's just the path of least, it's a path that no one wants to walk down. I mean, we think that we have to stand up for ourselves, that we have to do these things, that we have to react to the, the things that are happening in the political scene, and we have to, we have to respond to all of it. We have to respond the way that Daniel and his friends responded. I don't see them reacting. And we're like, well, they were in captivity. If they would have reacted like that, they would have been killed. Well, in captivity, they responded and it changed the kingdom. Maybe we ought to try it in a free nation too. Maybe it will be just as effective for us. 
We love the story of Joseph that's found in Genesis 45, and I'm going to close with the story of Joseph. It's a great play. I've played the role of Joseph twice. Both times I've played it. You, you, you feel something, you learn something when you are actually on stage in a role of a character that maybe you don't get from the other side. And, uh, uh, but I, I still don't know everything there is to know about Joseph. But if you don't know the story, it's found in Genesis chapter 40 through Genesis chapter 50. And basically his brothers hated him. Uh, he did have a little bit of pride issue in his life. He had some flaws. We all do. God had to work him out in his life and his brothers are going to kill him, but then they don't kill him. They sell him as a slave. He becomes a slave. He's, he's pure, he's, uh, but he gets falsely accused of rape and then he gets thrown in prison. And even in prison, he, he interprets a dream for someone, but they forget about him. And so he goes through this whole thing. And in Genesis chapter 45, his brothers come to Egypt. He's now the second in command in all of Egypt. His brothers have come. He has saved Egypt from famine. He's saved, he saved thousands, millions of lives around the world because of his wisdom and the way that God set him up. And I want you to read with me what he says here in Genesis 45, his brothers come. But don't be upset and don't be angry with yourselves for selling me to this place. It was God who sent me here ahead of you. It was not God that made you hate me. It was not God that got you to sell me. You did that. But God used your hatred of me. He used you selling me as a slave to get me where he needed me. Because God is always working for our good. He sent me here to preserve your lives. So I can receive comfort. So I can comfort others. God sent me ahead of you to keep you and your families alive and to preserve many survivors. So it was God who sent me here and not you. He is the one who made me advisor to Pharaoh, the manager of his entire palace and the governor of Egypt. But how about us? How are we responding to mistreatment and difficulty and the comfort that we're supposed to be receiving from God? And I know it's easy to look at the life of Joseph and say, well, you know, he was second in command in Egypt. Things worked out pretty well for him. And well, if I was like, if things would work out well for me, I'd respond differently. But here's the thing. God couldn't put him in that place until the internal stuff in his life was worked out. And the only reason he got promoted is because everywhere he went, he served God faithfully. He never turned away from God. It doesn't mean he didn't have bad days. It didn't mean he did everything perfect. But he kept practicing what he knew was true. In Genesis chapter 50, now his father is dead and his brothers are worried that now that the father's dead, he's going to respond differently. I mean, maybe he didn't kill us because dad was alive, but now we're a little scared. And so Joseph's brothers became fearful. Joseph will show his anger and pay us back for all the wrong we did to him. So they sent this message to Joseph. Before your father died, he instructed us to say, now, is this true? <laughs> we don't know. Maybe they had a conversation with dad before he kicked the bucket, but here's what we don't, we just don't know. More than likely, they're making this up, okay? Please forgive your brothers for the great wrong they did to you, for their sin in treating you so cruelly. So we, the servants of the God of your father, beg you to forgive our sin. And when Joseph received the message, he broke down and wept. Can I tell you, the brothers' fear and anxiety and guilt over their own actions caused them to see Joseph differently than he really was. 
Did you hear that? Their fear, their anxiety, their guilt caused them to put on Joseph something that they're wounding him all over again. And he weeps. They still don't see me as I am. And look what he says. The brothers come, they throw themselves down and say, please just make us one of your slaves. And Joseph replied, don't be afraid of me. Am I God that I can punish you? You intended to harm me, but God intended it all for good. He brought me to this position so I could save the lives of many people. The ability to keep calm and keep practicing is a secret that we must learn. Bow your heads and close your eyes with me. I want you to process this for just a moment. I'm not going to keep you long, but I believe that this message calls for a response today. I believe we need to come back to the throne of God to receive mercy and to receive grace. The information that I've given to you today is not just information. It's to show us maybe that there are some areas in our hearts that God wants to work out. And if it wounds you or hurts you, the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, we didn't read it today, he had to write a letter to the Corinthian church and it caused them pain. And he said, I didn't want to write it, but I felt like I had to write it because if you don't have sorrow, you can't come to repentance. But there's two kinds of sorrow. There's a sorrow that leads us to repentance. It's a godly sorrow. But there's a worldly sorrow that leads us down a spiral of anger, frustration, pain, depression, anxiety, bitterness. And so the question, as you look at God's word today, is what did it expose in your heart? Maybe it exposed something different in every heart in this room. The word of God is that powerful. It can meet you right where you are. And some of you today may need mercy because you've been reacting to circumstances like God is surprised. Maybe you've made some choices and you've created a life that's marginless and you're trying to, to do everything or you're trying to do all things. And God said, I didn't tell you to do that. I didn't send you there. I didn't do this. Stop getting ahead of me. Stop trying to, to put pressure on yourself that I'm not trying to put on you because my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And I'm not here to make you feel guilty and sorrowful and shameful. I'm here to say, if that's you, all you need is mercy. You need to come before him and say, God, I've reacted wrong. I keep reacting to politics. I keep reacting to people. I keep reacting to stuff that's going on in my life and I'm acting like you're not at work. And I repent. And so in just a moment, I'm going to call for people to the altar. And if you need mercy, just come and receive it. For some of us, you look at this and you think, man, I want that life. I mean, I've got people at work that are mean. I've, I mean, politics is nasty. I, I want to be able to learn this secret. Here's the thing. You're never going to learn it without his help. 
This is not a 10-step plan to put into practice. And the reason that I put off the list of what things we need to put in practice is because some of us are tempted to get the list of 10 things and then just go start trying to put them into practice apart from our union with Him. You can only do this through Christ who gives you strength. You can only live this secret life through Christ because opportunities for offense are bound to come. Opportunities for fear are bound to come. But you don't have to give in to them. So I want you to stand with me. And if you're in this room today and you say, I need mercy or I need grace. I need mercy for the wrong things that I've done. I need grace to help me to live this secret life, I want you to come right to the front. If you want to kneel, you can kneel if you want to stand, but you need to respond. You need to respond. I want to pray over you today, but you need to say, you need to look at yourself and say, I need mercy. I need grace. And if that's you, I want you to come. Don't delay. Don't delay. Don't wait for someone else to come. You come. You come. I've done it wrong. I keep reacting to stuff. So the same old, same old. I don't know why I keep putting stuff on Facebook. Some of you need to just pause Facebook. You really do. Trust me, I'm a recovering Facebook dialoguer, otherwise known as debater. It does no good. It needs to pause. I need to stop reacting. God, I need mercy and I need grace. If you're in the front, I want you to put your hands out in a receiving posture because you're about to receive from God everything that, that he has, everything that you need because his word declared it, he promised it. He said, if you come before my throne and you ask humbly, I will give you mercy. And so God, pour out mercy on everyone at this altar right now. Pour out mercy. God, we've reacted to situations, we've reacted to people in ways we never should have. God, we have blamed others. We've blamed circumstances. <clears throat> we've blamed past marriages. We've blamed past jobs. God, past things 20, 30 years ago. But God, we're going to stop today. We need mercy. We need mercy. We've been wrong. We've been wrong. God, you are at work for our good. And we will no longer let the things of the past keep us chained. God, we ask for mercy today. God, give mercy to wash away shame, to wash away guilt, to wash away condemnation. God, mercy today. God, for abundant grace. For abundant grace. God, we want to know the secret of responding in every circumstance. God, whether people love us or hate us, speak well of us or slander us. God, we want the light of the glory of God to come out of every crack that is put into this clay jar. God, we want to learn the, to be comforted by the one who is the source of all comfort. We want to learn to strengthen ourselves in the Lord the same way David did. Because God, there are people in our lives. There are people in our neighborhoods. There are people in our communities. God, there are people that you want to save through our lives. And we have got to get this right. We have got to trust that you are working for our good. We have got to keep calm and know that you are God, we want to keep practicing, keep putting into practice the things that we need to. But God, we need you to settle this one in our hearts first. 
rooted in our hearts that you are always working for our good. Holy Spirit, I ask for great grace, just as you promised to those that humble themselves before you. Pour it out on our lives today, we pray. Father, I pray your blessing over this body today. Lord, would you bless them and would you keep them? Would you cause your face to shine on them? Would you lift up your countenance upon them? Give them peace. Lord God, be gracious to them today, I pray. In Jesus' name. If you want to spend time at the altar, you can stay here as long as you want to. Uh, We have a prayer team that's here. If you want prayer for something that you haven't received prayer for, we encourage you to, to see one of them. When you're ready to be dismissed, just do it quietly. Let this be a place of prayer for those that want to spend a little bit more time in prayer before they go. And then take time to visit out in the lobby area. God bless you as you go today.